You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Good, right on, excellent. Me too, I'm doing really well. Okay, I'm going to start with a quote. The disunity of the Church of Jesus Christ remains one of the greatest scandals which compromises its witness today. That's a tough one. Craig Blomberg wrote this, and, and I believe he writes the truth. Jesus prayed for us, his disciples, in John 17, verse 11, when he prays, Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. I believe that this prayer is one of the few prayers that that Jesus prayed that, that remains unanswered today. How often do we neglect the name in whom we are protected the name of Jesus, and in so doing, break the unity that Jesus desires for us. Unity like that which Jesus and the Father share. How often in our own personal experience do we find things or people in leadership or ideas to divide ourselves instead of seeking Christ together in building the unity of the church? Some of you know that before I became a full-time pastor here at the gate, I was a welder. Who knew that? Okay, most everybody. Yeah, I was pretty vocal about that. (laughs) I worked for a local company for several years and and did a lot of structural steel around the city, a lot of handrails and guardrails all over southern Alberta, really. And one of the projects that, that really has stood out for me is the um, observation platforms at Blackiston Falls that you can go and stand on if you so desire. Now, I've told you, I know I've told you, a lot of you probably, maybe too many of you, um, (laughs) that I built those platforms. But I must confess something here to you all. There's no way that I could have done all of the work to build those platforms. That was not just me. All right, so when I say that I built those platforms, what I really mean is that I did a lot of the metal fabrication work to help construct those platforms. <laughs> I certainly didn't drill into the rock, the solid rock that they have their foundation on, or anchor the platforms to the rock. I didn't actually do all that much welding on them. I just merely attacked a whole bunch of pieces of steel together so that other people could do welds well on them. <laughs> I certainly didn't fly the helicopter that flew the big pieces of steel from the Red Rock Canyon parking lot over into the construction area right by their waterfalls. Although that was really cool to see in a video that I did see. There was a lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of different companies involved in making sure that those structures are where they are and that they are solid, that they are sturdy. I'm still proud of the work that I did there. 
I think it's really amazing, but it would be very inconsiderate of me to claim that I did the whole project by myself. Now, it would also be very childish of anybody to go and visit those waterfalls and somehow pick out the pieces that, that they knew that I had constructed and only use those pieces to view the waterfalls. Be like, I'm just going to step there and then there, and that's it. And also, let's take another absurd step and say that it would be extremely weird for someone to think that the only reason that those platforms are out in the middle of the woods was to give Synergy Welding a project to do and to neglect the fact that God created the mountains and the creek and the waterfalls and then someone decided that there should be a platform right there so that we can all enjoy that natural beauty. And again, I think it's absurd to think that people go out there to actually look at the platforms. Like I do. <laughs> I'm like, I welded that. But every other person does not go out there to simply look at the platforms. What a waste of a trip. What a waste of a trip. They certainly don't know that I helped to construct them. And they are not really concerned with who designed them and who built them. They go out there to look at the waterfalls, which is what they're there for. The Corinthian church was started by the Apostle Paul. That's what we learn in the book of Acts and in the, the letters to the Corinthians. He was there for about a year and a half, evangelizing, teaching, discipling people. And then he left Corinth to continue his mission work, and I'm sure that he probably would have trained people that he left there in order to lead the church in his absence. Sometime after that, a man named Apollos came to Corinth, and he continued to pastor and teach these group of, this group of peoples. Him and Paul were, were not enemies, all right? They were not, they were, they were not speaking opposing things but, I'm sure, Paul and Apollos had different personalities. And it seems that Apollos was the better speaker of the two people, of the two men. And through Apollos, the church there continued to grow. Now, it seemed as time went on, there were people in Corinth who turned their focus from the waterfall to the people who had built the viewing platforms. And some people decided to pick teams of who was the better platform builder and only stand on the platforms that that person had built. And Paul hears of this and other issues that the church is dealing with and not dealing with and writes them this letter that we are going through right now. And so I want to pick up the text in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. And then, uh, I want to remind you in chapter 2, Paul reminds the church that he came to, to them speaking nothing except Christ crucified so that their faith would rest upon God alone, not on those who spoke those words. He reminds them that it is God himself who gives understanding to people and that this wisdom from God is not understood by human wisdom. And so let's read chapter 3. It's a big chunk of scripture. So let's read it out here. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, 
but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom Q came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants, working together, and you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will become visible, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If you think you are wise in this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast about human leaders. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Lord, that you would bless the reading of your word and give us hearts and minds to understand what you're saying to your church today. Now it seems that in about three years, from Paul planting the church in Corinth to when he's writing these words, the church, let's be honest, has, has fallen off the path. Or at the very least, they hadn't progressed very far down the path of becoming mature in Christ. They degraded down to the likes of boys on the playground taking their eyes off the prize of the swing set and instead yelling at each other, well, my dad is better than your dad. My dad can beat up your dad. They're picking sides. They're choosing teams. And Paul asks them the question, well, what are you doing when you're choosing sides between Paul and Apollos? Are you not just being childish? 
Are you not just being merely human? In other words, you are being spiritually immature. You do not have the mind of Christ. Paul says that when they were young in the faith, it was proper to give them baby food, right? We always, when a baby is very young, you give them baby food. You give them milk, you give them liquids, you don't give them steak and potatoes. But when they're older, it becomes, pro- it becomes proper for you to give them solid food. Paul though, then goes on to explain what their current situation should be like in two separate metaphors here. The planting and tending of a field and the construction of a building. In each scenario, there is more than one person who works on the project. The farmer has multiple workers or servants to plant the seed, to irrigate, and to tend the, to, to tend the plants. And the site foreman has laborers to build the foundation and others to build the walls and the roof. And in both situations, the workers are expected to do their job well and to do it with care, for their work will be judged and they will receive their due wages. In verse 8, it says, The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. And in verses 10 and 13, it says this, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I, Paul, laid a foundation and someone else is now building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it. Because the work of each builder will become visible, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. The point of these two metaphors is found in verse 9. For we are God's servants, speaking about Paul and Apollos, working together, and you are God's field. You are God's building. It doesn't say anything that, that this is all about Paul and Apollos. It is mere, they are merely servants working for God. Verse 6 says again, I planted, Apollos watered, but, but who gave the growth? God gave the growth. Anyone who has done any sort of farming or tending of plants in any way knows that all we can do is, is plant the seeds, we can wait, and we can water them occasionally, hopefully not too much, and it's up to God to bring the sun and to bring the growth to the plants. It is physically impossible for me to somehow will my plants up in my office to grow any faster. They do what they do, and, they, and God brings the growth. Verse 11 says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. There's a slight echo here of Psalm 127, verse 1, which says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. If we try to build anything, we need a solid foundation. And Paul knew that, and so he was careful to lay the foundation of Jesus Christ crucified, adding nothing else to it. It was a solid, a firm foundation. And Paul is saying to the people, don't look at me. Don't just follow that man, Apollos, 
or anyone else. Don't be childish in choosing team captains, but instead focus all your attention on Jesus. Follow him. Now it should be pointed out that, that Paul and Apollos and Peter and the local pastor in Corinth, were, they were all on the same team. They were all preaching and teaching the gospel, the true gospel. And it's not like any of the, one of them was a, was a false teacher and who was spreading lies. I believe if that was the case, Paul would have said, don't follow that person. All these leaders were following Jesus, and Paul was telling the church to follow Jesus. This has been convicting to me, because I realized that as a pastor, I want to be important. Plain and simple, and that's my human wisdom. I want people to follow me. And I confess that I get frustrated when I hear stories of people hearing a different pastor say something that I've said before. (laughs) And then their faith is growing because of what they heard from them. I confess that it causes me to truly, honestly, to be bitter against other churches and other ministries that I can see are thriving and people are coming to know Christ through other people well, I can see that the, those exact same things aren't happening here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for this. I should be celebrating with people who are learning about Jesus and who are becoming mature in Christ as they look to other pastors and leaders. We all work together. And I repent of anyness, of any bitterness that I have against any other pastor. So God, give us, give me the wisdom to know that we are all on the same team. Paul continues in verse 18 with some, some strong words. He says this, do not deceive yourself. If you think you are wise in this age, you should become fools so that you can become wise. If you think yourself wise because you are causing division or quarreling in the church over who is a better speaker or who is the best leader, you are deceived. The wisdom of the world that causes us to find something that sets us apart from others that says we need to elevate ourselves or our our favorite leaders to the detriment of those we chose to be our opponents is utterly sinful. And that wisdom is foolishness to God. If his readers hadn't got the message yet, Paul spells it out extremely clearly in verse 21, where it says, So let no one boast about human leaders. (laughs) He continues by saying that all things, all blessings are theirs already. Everything that they already have and will have has been given to them as a gift from God. You don't need to choose a specific leader in order to receive a specific blessing from God. God is the one who blesses us, who causes us to grow in our faith, and who is our firm foundation. 
Let's go back to verses 16 and 17, where we find both a, a strongly worded warning and an amazing encouragement. So I want to ask, can we do something here? Can we read these verses out loud together? All right, it'll be on the screen behind me. Perfect. Before we do that, though, I want to point something out. Uh, the word you in those verses, in these verses, is plural. And so it should be translated as y'all. You all. English doesn't have a specific word for the plural you. All right? Y'all are God's temple. That's what it should say. But we won't read it like that because we'll just laugh as we say that. But that's the sense here. All right? So let's say that together. Let's say these verses together. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Paul says it twice. We are God's temple. We, the local church, are the people in which the Holy Spirit dwells. We, the local church, are the people in which God's glory is shown to the whole world. Do you hear that? We are the temple to show God's glory and love and presence to the whole world. God's Holy Spirit lives here. Not in this building, but in us, together. We are united in Christ, who sent the Holy Spirit to live within us. If you were to read through Exodus 25 30 to 31, those six chapters, you would find specific instructions on how the Israelites were to build the tabernacle, which was the travel-ready temple of God. These were very specific instructions on how the tabernacle was to be built and how the daily worship sacrifice were to be done. Everything and everyone who went inside that temple was to be holy. It was to be ordered and specific to the point of people dying if they did it incorrectly. Right? This is serious. It was a picture, though, of God's holiness, God's presence, and God's kingdom here on earth. Later on, after the Israelites had been in exile, and now were back in their homeland, at least some of them were back in their homeland, God wanted them to rebuild the broken-down temple, to reconstruct the place where people could come and worship and meet with God. But the people were getting distracted. And God sends his prophet Haggai to tell them these words. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider how you have fared. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, my house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You have looked for much, but it came to little. And when you brought it home, it, it blew away. Why? Says the Lord of hosts. Because my house lies in ruins. 
Well, all of you hurry off to your own houses. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld their dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I've called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the soil produces, on humans and animals, and all their labors. God's house laid in ruins. The earthly home of God's presence was broken. And it seems that the people were too selfish to work together to rebuild it. The people were not unified in their pursuit to serve God. And because of this, life was not going very well for them. The way forward was to build God's temple together. God always desires his people to work and to be together. To live in the unity of Christ. Friends, the same is true today, here at the gate. We are the temple of God and we are a picture of God's kingdom here on earth. If there is selfishness, if there is chaos, if there is division, how does that portray God to the world? That's why Paul puts a strong warning here. If anyone destroys or corrupts or ruins God's temple, God will do the same to that person. God is a jealous God. He is possessive of what is his. And so I would say to you, beware of false teachers. Watch out for pastors and leaders who say half-truths really well, but don't point you towards Christ. Beware of celebrity or internet pastors who only seek fame for themselves or preach a gospel that doesn't fit onto the foundation of Christ. I also want to ask you maybe some tough questions. Do you have a quarrel or argument with someone right now? Are you bitter toward anyone here? Are you jealous? Are you selfish? Are you being selfish? Have you in any way, even in the interior of your heart, started a division in the church by choosing a teacher or a favorite leader and elevating him or her above others? A broken church is not an effective testimony to an already broken world. Brothers and sisters, let us confess our sins to each other and to God and be healed by his grace. I want to end with an encouragement here. Reconciliation and holiness and unity are the way forward. And praise be to God, Jesus has gone before us to reconcile us to God. Jesus has made us holy by his death, and Jesus is the unity of the church. God is jealous for you. He wants you for his own. He has given you the opportunity to be holy through the death and resurrection of his son. And he has constructed us into the temple of the living God. Through Jesus, we carry the Holy Spirit in us. 
We live with God in us. He's not about to let that go to waste. Jesus taught us this in John 15, 4, when he says, Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Together, we are the temple of God. God lives in us. He abides in us as we come close and find our life in Him. Let us open our hearts to Him and take the grace that He has for us as well as the courage to repent and live in unity. So as we come to the communion table today, I want to remind you of two passages of Scripture. The first one, in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17, where Paul writes, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing of the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, and we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. And then in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, 23 and 24, Jesus says this, So when you are offering your gift at the altar, in other words, when you are going to worship God, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and sister, and then come and offer your gift. And so we proclaim that we are one body together as we take and eat and drink the body and the blood of Christ. As we come to worship God, as we come to give a sacrifice of praise together, let us be reconciled with others who have something against us. If there is repentance and reconciliation needed between you and someone here, please do that before you come up. This is the temple of God. This is not a place of judgment, but this is a place where we can find grace. If you believe that Jesus has died for your sins and have accepted the gift of unity with God, then please come, receive the bread and the juice, and then we'll all take communion together. Thank you.